0: I realize this is an Oklahoma football podcast, but forgive me today for taking a little bit of time to say that I feel absolutely sick for all the players on Houston's football team. The Cougars still haven't played a game this season, yet they've tried four times. Houston was supposed to open the season September 3rd against Rice, but in August, Rice decided to postpone the start of its season to this upcoming weekend, which is Not going to happen because the school paused football practice earlier this month, and who knows if Rice is actually even going to play a game this fall. So instead of starting the season pretty early, like Oklahoma was hoping to do against Missouri State back in late August, Houston had to wait a little bit longer. Its season opener was pushed back to September 18th against conference foe Memphis. Then a week before the game, there was a COVID outbreak at Memphis. Both sides agreed to postpone. Another week of practice, and another week of abiding by extremely rigorous COVID protocols would go by without a game to look forward to at the end of the tunnel for Houston's football team. But not so fast. Within a day, Baylor swooped in and offered to play Houston on September 19th. So instead of playing Memphis, the Cougars would be playing a non-conference game against Baylor in Waco, and Houston said, yes, we'll do it. All right, game on for Houston players, coaches, and fans. But not so fast. Last Friday, just one day before the season was finally set to begin, Baylor had to cancel the game because they had COVID problems. The 2020 opener was on, then off, then on again, and then taken away less than 24 hours before kickoff. The game was going to be on Fox. Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson on the call. I heard Klatt say that when he spoke to Houston head coach Dana Holgerson last Friday after the Baylor game was called off, Holgerson told Klatt that He was in danger of losing his team that these guys need to play a game. And so naturally what happens today, Wednesday, September 23rd, Houston's game set for this Saturday against North Texas has been postponed because North Texas had four positive tests this week and combined with contact tracing means the mean green won't be able to feel the team this weekend. I can't imagine what would be going through my head right now if I played on Houston's football team. Four opponents have postponed or canceled games since the beginning of September. All the while, my team has been ready to play each and every time. Frustrated isn't even close to a strong enough word to describe what I'd be feeling right now if I was a part of the Cougar program. As we'll talk about today on the show, Oklahoma could be in a similar boat this week. K-State is close to the threshold of players needed to play in Norman this Saturday. If Oklahoma's game this weekend gets postponed... We're all going to be very much annoyed, but at least the Sooners have played a game already. That's something. I feel horrible for everybody involved with the Houston football program. You people have done everything right, yet you haven't been able to play a game. That sucks. And the worst part about it is there's nothing I or anyone can do about it. That's just the way it is. And that's going to continue to be the way it is throughout the 2020 college football season. Unless the NCAA rethinks the current contact tracing protocols and I'll remind you Lincoln Riley spoke about the COVID protocols last week and he said barring any unforeseen circumstances he doesn't see any of those rules changing. I'm Lee Benson this is West of Everest. Under two minutes remaining now Williams a quick drop too high and it's intercepted on the far side that's going to be a sooner time Taking you back 35 years to the 1985 season. Oklahoma playing at Kansas State, drubbing the Wildcats 41-6. Freshman Lonnie Finch's first and only interception as a Sooner was returned for a touchdown late in the game. Although the scoreboard looked good for Oklahoma, it it really should have been worse. The Sooners turned it over four times and still won the game by five touchdowns. OU's defense held K-State to just 121 total yards. 2.4 yards per play. Uh, That Sooners team was pretty good. Of course, they went on to win the national championship that year. Okay, it's early on Wednesday evening as we record, and as of now, we've got an Oklahoma-K-State game to preview. As many of you may already know, Chris Kleiman's team is teetering on the edge of not having enough players to be able to play this Saturday. He last spoke Tuesday afternoon and said that for K-State's first game back on September the 12th. It wasn't until the day before on Friday that they got the the go-ahead to play against Arkansas State. Kleiman said that they were one player at one position away from having to cancel that game against A-State. 35 to 40 players missed that contest for Kansas State, and we all know that the Wildcats ended up losing 35 to 31. Now, as for this week, Kleiman said Tuesday that it's a different position where they're very close to the threshold numbers of being able to play. Uh, As far as we know, K-State's good to go at the moment, but as we record today, there's an unfortunate cloud of uncertainty kind of hanging over our heads because it sounds like Oklahoma versus K-State this Saturday is not fully 100% on. So with that intro, let's welcome in Grant for the first time to see how he's doing. What's up, Grant?
1: Well, nothing much, Lee. I'm sitting here recording this podcast and drinking a beer because I can't take this uncertainty. It's not fun at all. I mean, I get it. I understand that's the time that we're living in right now, but I'm still a little frustrated. It's still, it's, it's, it's frustrating, you know, playing for the first time two weeks ago, which kind of had a weird, like, spring game atmosphere. It didn't, it didn't really feel like the start of the season. Um, and then you don't play the next week. And now it's looking like it's not a 100% deal that they're going to play this this week. And it's just it's just disappointing is all. And like, I mean, you already went over Houston in your opening take. And can you imagine being a Houston? Like You talked about the players, but I'm sure the fans <sighs> yeah, are losing yeah. their minds too. I'm sure Dana Holgerson is losing his mind. Like I what a what a terrible situation that is for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, man. I mean, they've done everything right. They haven't been one of the teams that's had to call the opposing team and say, hey, yeah, sorry, we have COVID problems. It's always the other team. And then, uh, I guess, throw out Rice because Rice canceled in August. So, I mean, that was already set. But it's still, I mean, it's obviously COVID-related. Everything's COVID-related these days. So, yeah, I mean, knowing that you've done everything and you've practiced the way you've practiced and you've had to go through all this all these protocols and you can't be a normal college student and yet you still can't play. That's the whole point of all of this. That's why uh, a big reason why you were so upset. I mean, not just you, me, everyone was very upset over the big tens original decision of canceling the season in the fall because they were basically allowing them to do everything but play games. And in football, the game is the best part. I mean, that's why everyone practices. There's so much practice but then it's all worth it for how fun the games are and so Houston's just been going through weeks of practice being teased and still we're going to get to September 26th and and they're not going to have played a game yet and Oklahoma and Kansas State may not play this Saturday although again as we record Wednesday evening around five o'clock it's still on and you know I don't know anything I don't have any inside sources but I just, I've just i chosen to be more positive and optimistic moving forward. I kind of decided that maybe a month ago. And so I'm choosing to be optimistic with this one. I think they're going to play. I think they're going to figure out a way to play. I think Kansas State is going to be okay with their tests. We're probably going to know about the most recent test, which was today on Wednesday, or at least Kansas State's going to know about it. They might know about it already. I hope they do know about it because we haven't heard anything, which means that you know no news is probably good news. I don't know if the results come out tonight, if, if an insider is going to leak that info out there. Maybe we'll find out once you get past Wednesday, then obviously Friday is the next hurdle to, to clear. And by Friday, you know, we'll know pretty early on in the day, I think by Friday, because that's when they do the rapid testing. And they do the tests in the morning, I believe. So if we get to Friday and things are still going and we get to about Friday afternoon, game should be on.
1: If so, I remember um, them getting the all clear for Missouri State, and, you know, I was that that kind of dropped sort of like in the afternoon a couple weeks ago. Like I, I remember seeing stuff saying, hey, uh, or I saw a tweet, something along the lines of, hey, it's all clear, game is on. And I, I that happened Friday afternoon before Missouri State. So, um, like you said, yeah, we're, we're recording this. It's about f- it's about five after five right now on Wednesday evening, and we haven't heard anything regarding Kansas State testing. Um, you said it, and I've, I've seen other people say it as well, that I think as of right now we have to take that as probably pretty good news. Um, of course, we don't know. I'm not positive. But the fact that we haven't heard of any sort of cancellation up to this point yet is, is probably good news.
0: I will say this. I do recall Lincoln Riley, I think it might have been last week, talking about about all the COVID and testing and trying to shed some more light on the situation for all of us, not just fans, but us in the media. Cause you know, we're not in the program. We don't know how this goes and this is new for everybody. I do recall him saying that I believe he said that the, the Sunday night or the sun, not Sunday night, but the Sunday tests and the Wednesday tests. Cause it's Sunday, Wednesday, Fridays when they test in the big 12. And I recall Riley saying that the first two tests Sunday and Wednesday they're different than the Friday test as far as when the results come back. I recall Riley saying that sometimes the Sunday tests and the Wednesday tests, he won't get those results until late that night. And sometimes even into like after midnight. So there's a chance that Chris Kleiman in Kansas State still hasn't gotten the full results back from today. I just I remember that's what Riley said is 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 the Again, the Sunday and Wednesday tests take a little bit longer and I guess a lot longer to process than the Friday tests because those are different. I think those are more the rapid antigen tests that you can get results in you know, fifteen minutes or has something. Has anybody like that. asked has anybody asked Lincoln Riley
1: or I mean or anybody in the Big Twelve, Bob Bowlesby, anybody, if the Big Twelve is planning on going to daily testing with that antigen stuff? Like I mean, I th- that's a fairly obvious question I to ask, right? because I, I mean bullsby go, sorry go ahead they they clearly should be doing that um but also i mean if they don't do that with the intent of getting rid of the 14-day quarantine rule then there's no point in doing daily testing I, i'm serious i don't i don't think there's a point to it so
0: um yeah it's a good question i obviously with the big 10's new protocols coming out so they're not going to play for, uh, for another month but with the big 10 saying that they're going to test every day sure. yeah it's it's a it's a logical question to say, to ask. Hey, Big Twelve, and you know, other conferences, ACC, SEC, are you going to do that as well? I'm pretty sure the SEC, the Big Twelve, and the ACC all have very similar testing protocols. I think they're all testing three times a week, currently. Well, SEC hasn't started yet, but I'm I'm pretty sure that they've been doing the three times per week as well. Yeah, anyway, so that's that's where we are. <laughs> Again, choosing to be optimistic, I think the game is going to happen this week, but that's just based on me having a positive attitude, Grant. And honestly, after watching the Kansas State-Arkansas State game from a couple of weeks ago, I am also very positive and optimistic about Oklahoma's chances against this Kansas State football team, who we found out was severely under, uh, undermanned, I guess. But, uh, but I don't recall seeing... I mean, seeing, were out.
1: I, I, mean I, didn't, I saw a bunch of guys who were expected to be their starters in their starting lineup. So
0: that's what I was going to say. I only saw when I was reading up on it from what I took away is that only about four players that were considered contributors. I mean, like real contributors missed the game. And uh, the most notable was Youngblood, uh, Joshua Youngblood, the uh, wide receiver and kick and punt returner who was named preseason all Big 12 uh, returner. He did not play in the game, but aside from from him, there was three other players that I I, I honestly I didn't write their names down because I was looking back at the their their uh, their contributions from last year, and it was like a a wide like Wykeen Gill I think is one of them. He's kind of uh, he's he's a, he's a wide receiver, a little bit of playing time. I think there's like a backup offensive lineman, and then maybe a maybe a defensive player, but it wasn't it wasn't worth taking notes of it it didn't seem like it was any starters put it that way young blood to me seemed like the only starter I think defensively everybody for the most part was there on the two deep or at least starters and then offensively I think most people were there aside from young blood I mean did you see anything that would say otherwise I didn't see
1: anything that I didn't expect um, from them and I'm not like I'm not I'm not expert on Kansas State Um, but I mean yeah when you go and you read their season previews and You read about who was expected to start for them. I mean, those guys were in the participation report. Um, So, yeah, you're right. The only guy I didn't see was Youngblood. Thank you for bringing that up. The entire time I was like, don't they have a stud kick returner? How come I haven't seen him or anything yet? And so, yeah, I I couldn't think of his name, so thanks. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and and so that's not to say anything. Like, I, Kansas State looked really bad. You know, I I don't – so – and I – I think they were, for the most part, they clear. Obviously, they weren't at full strength. They're saying they missed they missed forty guys, but I think they had most of their starters out there. At least it, it seemed like they definitely had their best players out there. Um, and uh, yeah, they looked bad. And, and I know they had some guys who got banged up, and their status is in question. Like I know they had some safeties who got banged up during the game, and it's, it's it's a question whether or not they're going to be able to play because of COVID or injury. Nobody knows. Um, but other than that. I, that, I think that was mostly kind of the bones of the K-State team that you're supposed to see this season. Um, and they looked really terrible, really bad. <laughs> now so, here's where uh, but, hey, I'm like, this is, uh, this is stuff that I've said before about Kansas State and other teams as well. Um, and if I could borrow a term from Jalen Hurts from last year, I think it might be rat poison right now. It's just, it's a poison pill. Like I'm, I'm not gonna take the bait right now. At least not, not at this juncture of the season. I, the Kansas State game last year made no sense to me whatsoever, at all. And if they could, if if Kansas State can pull that out of their hat last year, Kansas State sucked last year too. Um, and they
0: still beat OU in Manhattan.
1: I don't know. Kansas State got
0: Kansas State last year was ultimate K state where the talent is somewhat limited but they were able to get almost everything out of that roster. I I, I wouldn't say that the team sucked. Okay, that's I'd say it I'm, was a you know,
1: I'm being hyperbolic to make a point. They didn't it's clearly they went 7 and 5 in a major conference. The team didn't suck. But in terms of like a talent okay. level, they're at the same talent level as an Arkansas State if you watch that game. There there was you if if you completely switched the jerseys on those teams, they almost look identical in terms of talent.
0: To, uh, one quick combat on the rat poison comment, which is fair because, you know, last year nobody predicted what happened in Manhattan. And everything is up in the air this year with, uh, with obviously with COVID stuff. So we don't know. I will say Dusty Dvorak brought up a, a good point on Sunday on the Blitz mentioning, and I'm not sure maybe he said it on, on the Blitz or off the Blitz. I know he said it on his radio show, but. Uh, he said that if Oklahoma would not have lost that game last year to Kansas State, he'd be a lot more concerned about it. But the fact that OU lost last year, he said that he thinks that Oklahoma won't have that feeling of of watching that Arkansas State tape and thinking, "Gosh, this team's terrible." We're gonna walk walk through them, knowing that last year didn't go well for Oklahoma. They're gonna that that at least I think is a positive moving forward for this game. That uh, Oklahoma's going to be like, yeah, we we remember last season. We saw that you didn't look very good, but we're not going to leave up anything to chance. We want to beat you down. And I think that's a pretty good point by Dusty. So that's
1: where I love I, I love to hear anecdotes like that, especially from former players, because you know when he says that he's probably speaking on personal experience. Um, did you did you maybe probe him a little bit and ask, hey, you know, what are? Cause I mean, I I'm thinking of his era. You know, 2001 through 2005 is when he was there. Yeah, I mean, there was some. I the the one that I think of very specifically is Texas A and M losing in two thousand two, and then beating them seventy seven to nothing the next season. Oh, yeah. Dusty was involved in that game, so um, I don't know. I, yeah, I would good, definitely be curious call. to see if he if he would pull anything just like out of his head or anything that stuck out. It, it probably would be
0: <laughs> that A and M game, I would guess. Oh yeah, I mean, he that that's a good question. I should have asked him about that. I didn't. He would definitely have a, an example. I'm sure he. He's uh, he, he remembers all that stuff. Uh, no, I said I was I was more interested in, in whether or not as a player, college and pro, if he was aware or he and his teammates cared about the betting line. That's <laughs> I asked him about that the other day and he said, awesome, man. No, we we just wanted to win. He's like, yeah, we I mean, yeah, sometimes we knew about it. But like, really, it didn't we didn't care. So I don't. And I, you I know, I find what? that to be more interesting. <laughs> but I don't but like, you have a good you, question, too.
1: I feel like. Yeah, if I was in that position, I don't think I would care either. If I was an 18 19 20 year old um, I the only time I would ever use the betting line is for motivation like just as a but yeah I wouldn't care I mean I'm sure they like they're they're in it like they're they're in the the daily grind I'm sure that mm-hmm. that type of stuff and you know people will say that they block out the noise and whatnot so of course they hear some of it but I don't know I mean when you're when you're constantly being drilled on your assignments and you're watching tape and you know what the other team is about, like you have a lot more inside info than Vegas does. So like I, I, I can see why if you're actually on the ground and seeing why you wouldn't care about the number at all.
0: So, yeah, I found that to be more important to ask him about than than the follow up question that, that you had, which actually would have probably been a lot more informative. So, oh, well. because I'm thinking, yeah, I'll I'm, try I'm thinking specifically
1: he would have been um, 2002. They had two heartbreaking losses to Texas A&M and Oklahoma state in the regular season. And they, you know, 77 to nothing and 52 to nine the next season. So, and that team, I mean, that 2003 team was awesome. So I'm sure they knew they were going to kill everybody until (laughs) the last two games. But so, yeah, I mean, God, I would love to, I'd love to pick his brain about that.
0: Totally missed opportunity. Way to go. Mm, Yeah. uh, Well, we'll see if we can get him on the podcast someday. We'll see. Uh, Just, I think it's a little more nuance real quick back to, the kansas state roster and you now we're talking about how it seemed like most of their starters if not all of their stars except for Youngblood, were available okay but this little nugget from chris klyman that he mentioned and i you know 12 players who played in that game against arkansas state had only practiced for a few days leading up to the game because prior to that they had been out for two weeks i'm assuming because of contact tracing so how many of those starters even though yeah they're they're returning starters maybe or they were supposed to start how many of those guys really didn't practice a whole lot you know, in, in, until the you know, last couple of days before the game? And even though they're starters, missing a bunch of practice time is, is definitely going to affect the way you play. So that's also a factor as to why maybe they did not look as good in that game. And that's just when you, you got to dive into some of the nuance there, and I'm glad that we, were, or we are privy to that, that information. But you're going to see probably some of that moving forward all season long depending on the team. And there's kind of some whispers that OU was kind
1: of dealing with the exact same circumstance against Missouri State. And of course, they were playing Missouri State. But yeah, I mean, there was some chatter that there were some guys who started in that game who had like not practiced at all in the summer. So hmm. I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 one of those things where, yeah, in the last episode, um, I, I got a little conspiratorial, especially regarding Texas that I, I kind of regret, which is kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, there's no evidence that Texas is fudging their numbers or anything like that, so I just I, I wanted to put that out there. I, I re-listened to the podcast and I let the uh, the OU Texas rivalry get the best of me uh, a little too much, but um, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of nice to know that there are there are other programs dealing with this, and you're seeing it too, just with the rash of postponements uh, postponements lately. And I, if you read between the li- you don't even have to read between the lines. Read any of the the stories that are coming out of them. It's all contact tracing it's it's all contact tracing. And so I like I'm I don't know how realistic it is to change that rule. It's probably not. I'm I'm assuming it's it's here to stay. But you have to think there is someone in the Big 12 office if it's possible to change that rule with some sort of urgency to make it happen. Cuz like it's right yeah. because that could completely nuke your entire season. What if mm-hmm. what if this game gets and um Brady and Keegan were talking about it on the Inside OU podcast, but they bring up a good point. What do you do if this game is postponed and then Iowa State is postponed as well? They only have two more bye weeks built into the schedule. And like we've already yep. seen from Houston, this is not unprecedented. They've already had four games postponed. So, you know, I. Yeah, they, they got to figure this out. This isn't going to. And if the Big mm-hmm. Ten is under the same guidelines, they are not going to have a season. <laughs> I, I like because one positive is going to wipe out an entire team under
0: their, like, under their guidelines. So, yeah, they're, you know, I, they're incredibly strict guidelines, but it would seem that the Big Ten is, is uh, unofficially making the claim that as long as we test every single day, that apparently that means nobody's going to get coronavirus in the Big Ten. That kind of, yeah. I mean, by starting the season so late and not giving them any sort of wiggle room, not even at least one or two weeks of wiggle room, I think you're right. There, there's definitely questions there. Um, I just yeah, what was it I doesn't say
1: it's past I'm, no, I'm, it doesn't, I'm glad
0: you, doesn't make sense. Sorry.
1: It's yeah, we we talked about it. It's overkill, it's overcautious. They they mm. if it's possible, they need some
0: urgency to change the rule now. I agree. And I'm glad you brought up last episode and the Texas stuff because I was kind of there with you. It's the evidence at the time it's it seemed very bizarre that out of all the teams playing that week, it, it only seemed really that Oklahoma's game was the one that was in jeopardy. You didn't see reports coming out of all these other big-time Power 5 schools that the game was in jeopardy, but we also made the, the qualifier of like, you know maybe we're just so close to Oklahoma and maybe it's happening, we just haven't seen it. Well, maybe it was happening with K-State or it came out later, I don't know, but obviously with Kansas State, it was a problem. So it wasn't just Oklahoma, and Chris Kleiman said it on Tuesday. He said, yeah, everyone's dealing with this stuff. He mentioned Baylor, he mentioned Houston. I will say Chris Klein has been a lot more forthcoming with a lot of this information than Lincoln Riley has. He has been discussing it and saying, hey, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're one position group. We're, we're close to the threshold. I don't think you'd hear Lincoln Riley say that. I think he's, he's made it very clear he's going to be as tight-lipped as possible when it comes to all of this stuff, which that's fine. That's his prerogative. But the point is other teams are dealing with it. And so I think I'm glad you brought that up and I'm right there with you. Maybe we were pushing a little bit too much of oh maybe some of these teams aren't going to be following it like others where I think maybe there again there was no evidence of that at the time we were speculating which is which is not great and now we're gonna we're gonna walk it back a little bit because that's the right thing to do there's no evidence of it and it does seem like other teams like Houston, Baylor, uh, Wake Forest and Notre Dame got postponed I mean it's other teams are dealing with it too so uh, to be fair yeah we probably jumped the gun a little bit there yeah so I just wanted I just wanted
1: to, i I wanted to bring up just the the point with Texas just because i, I don't I think I just I kind of i I overstepped it a little bit is all that's all i, I mean okay. it's a screw Texas I hate them <laughs> yeah um you know if it comes out that they were fudging the numbers I'm gonna dunk all over them but <laughs> you know we we, th- we got to have some credibility and there is no evidence that that they were fudging the numbers or did anything wrong or anything like that but true true yeah
0: all right so let's talk about this game hopefully it happens uh, what do we make of it now kansas state sounds like they're they're close to not having enough players on the oklahoma side not getting that feeling getting the feeling at least on riley's presser on tuesday there wasn't really any hints that it seemed like they were close like against missouri state uh again though no, riley was very tight-lipped he he was he didn't really give away any, any information I know that we have seen some players on social media tweet out things saying, you know, September 26th, I'm playing or I'm not back. I, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Brayden Willis tweeted something similar to that. Let's see. Have you seen anybody else? Yeah, I know there's the, been a couple.
1: Yeah, the ones that are sticking out in my mind are, like you said, Braden Willis, TJ Pleasure, right, uh, Pleasure Anton, one, Anton think, like Harrison and Stacey Wilkins were the four that I saw. So that's a good sign. And Especially I also know, um, I know, Sorry like that. like Andrew Rame, I think is expected to be back as well. Um, yeah, I think I, I think we're gonna see, you know, and, and of course this is all just this is all just taking the temperature beforehand. Nobody has any inside info, you know. We can, some of us know some things, but it, it, most of it is rumors and whatnot. But you're you're right. I, I don't I don't think we're going to be missing as many people as there were uh, two weeks ago. I'm curious about Gabe Burkich, man. That was the he was the only guy that I didn't hear about who missed the game uh, two weeks ago. And
0: I mean, well, not Did you that see his like... tweet during the game. Did what did you see his tweet during the Missouri State game? Oh, I'm sure I
1: did, but I think I already blocked it out of my, my head.
0: What was it? He tweeted something like, oh, my alarm clock just went off. Oh, i sorry. I missed the game gotcha. or it's like some some goofy like classic kicker thing. Can you imagine kind how weird it
1: would be to be on the football team? Like, you're there. You're on the ground. You are in the meeting room with those guys. Like, those are your friends. Like, that that's your life, essentially. And mm. because of some sort of thing completely out of your control, you have to sit and who knows where they are. are they just in their dorm room right, or right. a hotel room or uh, I don't know. But can you imagine? And, like, I'm sure they're by themselves just sitting there watching the game on TV knowing that – that's like so you weird. didn't do anything to not be there, and in all likelihood, if it, if everything goes to plan, you, you're going to be in uniform playing the next game, and someone's going to be watching you on TV. That's the stuff I think about. I think that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: I uh, I don't know. Just think it would be yeah, odd. Yeah, the life of a college football player in 2020 is is super bizarre. I don't envy any of them. I feel horrible for everybody who's playing and involved with this because of that because. You can do everything right, and you could still get knocked and say, hey, uh, you might have gotten too close to somebody. Sorry, uh, you're probably fine, but you can't play. And they only have so many games to play. There's very few games in football. That's what makes football so special. It's rare. And in a a season like this where they've already knocked off two games, which a whole other discussion could be, oh, my gosh, all these other conferences are trying to come back and play. Holy cow, we could have had a full season. (laughs) We could have just played oh, a yeah. regular 12-game season. Uh, it's just everyone overreacted. Uh, but that's a whole that could be a whole other podcast going along with our in-depth Big Ten thoughts at some point, which is annoying. So, yeah, um, that, that is very, very bizarre. So it sounds pretty good. Uh, just kind of reading the tea leaves. For Oklahoma's participation, for Oklahoma's roster, it's sounding pretty good right now. Granted, testing happened today. We'll see. And then there's another test on Friday. All right, so in the past, we've gotten very in-depth. We'll go offense versus defense, defense versus offense, things like that. Uh, I think let's do an abbreviated version of that. Whatever comes to our minds, we'll throw out there, and we'll see what happens. So let's begin on the Oklahoma offensive side of the football. When that matchup's on the field, OU offense versus Kansas State defense. Let's talk about that. What do we see? Obviously, the advantage (laughs) is on Oklahoma's offense. Grant, I will pose this question to you. Do you see any obvious mismatches or advantages? What jumps to your to your mind when you think, okay, how can Oklahoma exploit this Kansas State defense just right off the bat?
1: I man, I don't want to be mean. They, they, Kansas State looked so terrible in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um they looked so bad. I, I just so, so let's, just
0: specif- let's be specific to the defensive line, then, because I agree I with you. I think, I think both sides, but the defensive line. Wyatt Hubert is a player that everyone probably knows. He's going to be talked about the most on this defensive line. All right, so how did he look against Arkansas State? Did he stand out to you? He had, he, okay, he, you said that when we were talking
1: beforehand, I know you, you feel like he was a complete non-factor. He, he had a sack in the game. There were a couple of times where he was providing pressure off of the edge, but you know, I I don't. I said before we came on the podcast, Wyatt Hubert might you know might be the most overrated player in the Big Twelve. And you like you you put it perfectly. He does one thing over and over again. He he runs straight ahead with lots of power, and that's that's it. He's got a really really high motor. Um, and so let's not like he's a good. Pl- I would take him on OU. So like let's not like let's not go too overboard here. Um, but if he's the guy that is anchoring the defense and you're kind of counting on him. Uh, to, to anchor everything and to you know turn your defense into sort of a, a respectable unit at least the front seven that ain't it man he, he's just he's not it if there is someone who is more talented than he is in front of him he is a complete non-factor completely um I saw way too many times against Arkansas State him just getting absolutely eliminated by Arkansas State's left tackle um so when we talk about what OU can do well against Kansas State's defense or what like what sticks out as the biggest difference between the two it's the athletic ability and the skill and this is always always what is apparent when you watch when, or when you compare Oklahoma and Kansas State the same thing the same the same thing happened last year too when I watched them Kansas State just does not have that many elite athletes or talented players relative to Oklahoma in this end. You know, I. I think, I think they should throw the ball around. Um, this is what I said. I think this is what I said last year too, as well, right? Yeah, they need yeah, to leverage right. their athletic advantage against these guys because they, they can't. And now they got a guy who can complete those passes. Uh, and yeah. I just roll the K State tape from last year. That was that was the game where things started to go really bad for Jalen Hurts. There were dudes running wide open on the third level of the defense against Kansas State the entire game. Hertz couldn't hit them. And Kansas State knew it. They were the first team that really took advantage of it. So that's not going to be a problem theoretically anymore. And I think for OU, your biggest advantage against everyone you play is your quarterback and your receivers against everyone else. And I think they might as well just, I, I really do think they should come out and they should try to throw it 30 times in the first half and bury
0: him. <laughs> Let me start with Wyatt Hubert. To me, it's, he's going to be doing one of two things. At least this is what he did against Arkansas State. Either he's rushing straight up field or he is sitting back and kind of catching the tackle and waiting to see if he can stop a run play. Uh, that's pretty much it. That's what I saw against Arkansas State. There wasn't a whole lot of him doing swim moves or rip moves to, to cut inside the tackle to try to try to make a move on him it was just trying to beat him with his speed on the outside off the edge and so I'm kind of curious to see how Oklahoma tries to trap him if they even care enough to try to trap him obviously it looks like in that situation to beat a guy who just runs upfield field all the time and and gives up the edge just do RPOs or just hand off the ball and into his vacated spot boom and I guess you got to make sure you block the linebackers who are in theory, he's supposed to be there to fill. I think you can use his aggressiveness against him. Later in the game, he, start, he stopped being as aggressive. He tried to, I think, bait Arkansas State into doing that and handing the ball off so he could be there to make the tackle. But aside from his sack, he, he was, I think, mostly irrelevant in that game against Arkansas State. He didn't make much of an impact. Also, the interior part of the defensive line, to me, didn't, didn't look particularly impressive. It seemed at times... I know early in the game, I didn't watch for it as closely late in the game, that Arkansas State's offensive line was pushing them off the ball. They are running the football pretty well. Arkansas State averaged nearly five yards per carry in that game. And overall, Arkansas State averaged almost seven yards per play. 6.9 yards per play, gained almost 500 yards of total offense on that Kansas State defense. This defense, at least in the one game we've seen, is not very good. And I totally forgot until today grant that scotty hazelton he's not there anymore at kansas yeah, state he's gone the, he's gone he's at michigan state now with mel tucker and those who listen to this podcast know that that i love scotty hazelton i've been talking about him going back to even before oklahoma hired alex grinch i mean he was at wyoming he made wyoming's defense really good for two years and then he came with chris climb into k-state and i think he made that defense somewhat respectable with not a whole lot of talent last year in 2019. And, I mean, they, they did enough to, to beat Oklahoma, of course. And you know what? You mentioned that Kansas State knew that Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts couldn't, couldn't complete those throws. Well, Scotty Hazleton, he, he, he may have seen it. He may have realized it and said, yep, yeah, let's, let's keep putting pressure on him because we don't think he can beat us with his arm. And he couldn't. Now, the new, D, uh, new D.C. is Joe Klanderman. Uh, and he's not surprisingly, he's been with Chris Kleiman for the last six years. That's what Kleiman and the North Dakota State kind of coaching tree does. They they stick together. Uh, so his background is similar to Scotty Hazelton's. But most of Klanderman's experience goes back to the, the, the D2 level. And Grant, you know, well, very well, much about this part of the country. He coached at Mankato State, Minnesota State, Mankato for a long time. Eleven years he was there. And he finally, I shouldn't say finally, he, he chose to go to North Dakota State in 2014. And so, you know, he's got a good defensive background. It's just his, he's not as accomplished, I don't think, as Hazleton. So I think that's a, an advantage for Oklahoma this weekend. You have a new defensive coordinator. First time he's been in charge calling the plays against his Oklahoma offense, going up against a quarterback that can throw it around. <laughs> Oklahoma should score a lot of points this Saturday. I mean, I'm not breaking any news to anybody. But they need to, and they should. And I think you're right. Come out there. Let Spencer Rattler throw the ball around quite a bit again if he wants. Uh, But this should be a game, I think, where Oklahoma, if they get their offensive linemen back and they can get more consistency with that group, I think this would be a good game where they could be able to run the football and gain some confidence and start gelling as a unit on the ground.
1: And maybe maybe a part of my my analysis here of wanting them to just kind of toss it around a lot of that probably does have to do with me just wanting to see Spencer Rattler throw it. Um,
0: and so do I. I want to see him throw it
1: around the yard as well. It's fun. I just, I'm mean, he. He looks so good. He looks so smooth, so in control. And I just like if if you're able to complete passes, you know, consistently to the to the degree that he was doing it two weeks ago, and I know it was against Missouri State. I know. Man, that's like that's one of those things. That's what I talk about in terms of don't even like mess around with running the ball because when you get to that point and you can pinpoint like he can you can get it to the point where it is literally indefensible you can't do anything about it um, and I just like leverage that advantage you know I, I I can easily see Kansas State coming into this game and if there's one thing that they're gonna be drilled on and one thing that they're gonna know for sure it's going to be to attack that GT counter play um, and and attack the run aggressively because that's what they did the last time out. And they know that if they can get OU behind the chains early, you know, on early downs, then they're going to have more chances of being more successful later on. Flip that script, come out, throw it 30 times in the first half. Do not let them breathe. I I, like, I am, you have the personnel for it now. Um, And and then you can ice the game with the, you know, with the running game in the second half. But I I just, in this thing early, man, I, I, they're, they looked really terrible against Arkansas state like I, i'm not i'm not I'm not sure that it's possible to improve to that to that degree in two weeks, especially if you got guys coming in and out and you just, you never know you know who's gonna be there and who's not for practice so I don't know do, do you think any of this is gamesmanship by by climbing at all like getting Oklahoma's guard down saying that
0: Oh, interesting. interesting. And I know, I know.
1: That's like, that's, I'm just tossing it out there as a, as a I don't a possibility. know enough about him.
0: I don't know enough about him as far as if that's something that's in his reper- repertoire. I, I would, I have not thought about that at all. So I, I tend to think no. I think he's being honest and upfront. You, you listen to Joel Klatt uh, talk about uh, talking to Kansas State's players, or not, not necessarily players, I'm sorry, talking to Chris Kleiman. And he talked – he was on Clay Travis's show. <clears throat> I believe this was last week. I, I, I think we texted about this before. And, and maybe I talked about this last week. Week I can't remember. But Klatt said that he's, he's, he was – as he was preparing for that game, all the talk with Kansas State was about COVID and just being happy that they're going to be able to play and practice hasn't – they haven't had a chance to practice that much and, you know, what are they going to do – game day with you know their their unity stuff and, and all the stuff and Clatt said that when he talked to the Arkansas State coaches it was all just about football and this is what we hope to do against Kansas State this is how we hope to attack Kansas State it was all football and then you see how the game went and you see Kansas State lose uh, the point is I, I think that Kleiman was probably being honest to Joel Klatt before that game and so when Chris Kleiman comes out and talks about this stuff openly in his press conference this Tuesday. I think he's being honest about how, yeah, they're they're close and they haven't had a, a lot of guys consistently practicing. So, no, I, I don't think this is gamesmanship. I think he's I think he's being honest and and he knows that if they can play based on the situation at hand, if they're close to the threshold, man, he probably knows that it's going to be a long Saturday for his group. Maybe because, uh, I don't going know. up against Oklahoma shorthanded. Yikes. Don't don't
1: swallow that rat poison. <laughs> yeah. Like I I don't um, know. I mean they could yeah. it's conceivable that they could throw some looks at uh at Spencer Rattler that confuse him. Um I, I, I'm sorry, this just popped into my head, but um I don't know how I missed this, but I just saw one of the angles um of his of his touchdown pass to Marvin Mims. On the fr- like uh, from the first game against Missouri State, the the really long one, and the like, the degree, the casual nature in which he just kind of stepped up a little bit, and he was sort of drifting to his left as he as he released to that ball was insane. I, did you see that angle at all? When he was releasing that ball to Marvin Mims, he was drifting to his left, like away from a pass rusher. Um, and it was so he didn't he so he threw it off of his back foot, like fifty five yards in the air, right into the bread basket.
0: While yeah, I believe I believe coaches or a- analysts will call him. He's an, he's an easy thrower. Jalen hurts. Easy throw over the would have
1: bailed and ran to his left in the, on that exact same play. Um. Ooh, like it's uh.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, it's like, doing yeah. I'm I, I not Jay to Lent. get. You can't really compare the two. It's, it's. I'm not, trying not to get too players. excited.
1: I'm trying not to, because you never know how a you know how a young quarterback is going to react to, uh, to different looks or you know, actually playing a power five defense. What we saw from some... from Spencer Rattler is not normal. I I said, you know, I I said way way back in the spring. Um, I think in our, in our spring uh, football preview before COVID happened and everything like that, um, that kind of like best case scenario for Oklahoma's offense this season is that Spencer Rattler steps in and he's just as good as Tua Tonga Viola was right when he stepped in as a redshirt freshman. And, and I, I get that it is Missouri State. But what we saw from Spencer Rattler, yes, he is absolutely on that level. 100% um yeah i remember you making that comment and so you know i i i wasn't expecting that i have gone back and i've watched more of that game his his talent is so undeniable and it's just not something that you see very often um it's it's at that point it's it's just it's not conceivable that he's going to take a big step back he's he was so much better than everyone else on that field um yeah i mean this is this, this guy this We've we've talked, um, you know, over the last handful of years. This this program has had, I mean, at least two program changers at the quarterback position with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. And you can even argue it with Jalen Hurts if he came in and he changed the culture really well. Spencer Rattler is a culture changer as well. He's a program changer. Um, that guy's not normal. He does not look like normal college quarterbacks. Um, and I, I just. I'm really
0: glad he's on our team. You know, I just, I, I expected it. I thought he would be really good because we've, we've seen limited amounts of him, but you know he's got all the tools, and Lincoln Riley's a great coach. So I think it's important that you bring that up because it's nice that Oklahoma has this young guy that's like this. But I guess I'm not as, don't get me wrong, I'm excited, but I'm not as like, my jaw's not on the ground at what he did because, again, to, for the millionth time, everyone qualifies. At it. Yeah, it's Missouri State. And also, yeah, you mentioned Tua. Tua was really good. He was ahead of the game. Trevor Lawrence was really good right away. Trevor Lawrence, So, like, it's there's these certain guys, there's certain quarterbacks in this era that can step right in and look damn good. And I kind of figured that Spencer Rattler was one of them, especially whenever you connect him with Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is not at Oklahoma. Tua is not at, at Oklahoma. Kyler Murray <laughs> at Oklahoma was pretty great. And the thing is with him, we, we hadn't seen him play a lot since his freshman year. And so that was like, wow, this is great. I kind of just, I kind of figured that Spencer would be really good. Now, let me throw a lot of, some cold water on all this right now, just to be fair to Kansas State and to, to present to the listeners, okay, here's something that could be different. I'll tell you, and this is not that crazy, but something I noticed in the Kansas State, Arkansas State game, I appreciate Kansas State's defense on third down, they're clever. Uh, they put up a lot of players at the line of scrimmage. They try to disguise blitzes. They make it confusing on the quarterback. Put seven guys up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, a couple times, they'd, they'd rush four, they'd drop three, they'd get some sacks. You know, I'm sure they have different schemes based off of that. So you get... Spencer Rattler into third down he's going to see stuff like this which he did not see against Missouri State so how is he going to handle that hopefully he handles it well but that's something that could be different for him and potentially confusing to him at the same time Arkansas State converted almost half of their third downs against Kansas State so uh, the Red Wolves figured it out for the most part but again to throw a little bit of cold water on this Spencer Rattler love fest This is not Missouri State. This is going to be a Big 12 defense that just got beat by Arkansas State, and even though they're going to potentially be shorthanded, they're going to want to come out and play really well, obviously, against Oklahoma, although I will say uh, there is a little bit of rat poison on the Kansas State side that I noticed today from one of the linebackers, Justin Hughes. Uh, Not the greatest or smartest quote, in my opinion, from Justin Hughes, who he's a veteran player, so... It's not like it's some dumb freshman. He's got some, some clout on that Kansas State defense. But let me read you a quote from Justin Hughes from Tuesday. Quote, OU always has a great O-line. The O-line is one of the best in the nation. The quarterbacks are always great. Lincoln Riley has done a great job of recruiting those guys. They're a solid team. Unfortunately, they played a lower-class team in Missouri State, so we have to go on that film. We've just got to go out there and execute assignments and look at the details of what they want to execute schematically, and we got to go out there and execute our scheme into the best way possible we can. It should be a good game. We should come out on top, end quote. Justin Hughes. I realize that last sentence is probably just a throwaway line for him that he says a lot of the time, but Justin, I appreciate the confidence, man, but... I don't know if it was the best or smartest thing to say that. Yeah, we should come out on top of Oklahoma. Two weeks literally after you guys got beat by Arkansas State. Any thoughts on that, Grant? All I I, I'll I say is I just threw that one at you. You didn't know oh that no. was coming.
1: Ba- based off of uh of what I saw of Kansas State against Arkansas State, they are going to have to get a bunch of new players if that's going to be the case. <laughs> like I just I don't. Uh, and I don't like I don't want to take it. I don't want to take the bait, and of course I already am. Kansas State looks terrible. They looked so bad. Like I can't if if we can only go off of that one game, they don't have a freaking prayer. But also, I, I do. I, I think that's a poison pill. Because I, I think like I think it's likely they're gonna be really ready to play. Um and I'm I'm actually more good. concerned. Like I, both... I think I'm actually more so, concerned. like I think OU's offense is gonna be okay. It's the defense I'm worried about. And we'll, like, we, we can go into that, and I, I didn't mean that to be a segue or anything like that, um,
0: but... A little bit more on this uh, offense versus defense setup, a little more. I, and I was going to say, there we both really like Chris Kleiman. The guy can coach. So let's not, uh, let's not overlook that. Granted, sometimes as a coach, you're limited by your talent and the players that you can play with. That's true. So... The last thing I wanted to bring up, though, with the Oklahoma offense versus the Kansas State defense is I think it's useful to bring up the fact that Arkansas State, their top wide receiver, maybe the best player on their team, Jonathan Adams, had a really big day. He had eight catches for 98 yards and three touchdowns. He had one touchdown wiped off the board. It was a sweet one-handed catch. I think you saw that, right? You said you watched the first part of the game live. and Jonathan Adams? Yeah. Yeah. He had that one handed catch. It was wiped out by review, but then they threw it right to him the next play, and he got a touchdown. So they had one. He's, an, he's probably an NFL player. I know Joel Klatt was saying that all game. Arkansas State has one of those guys. Oklahoma's got Theo Weiss, Theo Howard, Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, Braden Willis. We hope he full back. strength. I think it's so, full strength. Like, yeah. like
1: literally every offensive starter on the field for OU. I think all eleven guys are going to get drafted, all of them. Um, so, so like, and I'm talking about like that would be, you know, from left to right, that would be Harrison, Hayes, Humphrey, Robinson, Ely. All those guys are going to get drafted. Spencer Rattler is going to get drafted. Ramondre Stevenson is going to get drafted. Charleston Rambo is going to get drafted. Theo East is going to get drafted. Jade Hales was gonna be drafted, Trajan Bridge is gonna get drafted, Braden Willis is gonna get drafted, Austin Stogner is gonna get drafted. So, Oklahoma's yeah. offense has an embarrassment of riches. I don't know if they have I don't know if they have like a threesome like as, as great as like CeeDee Lamb, Marquise Brown, and Mark Andrews. Um, but the guys around those dudes are a lot better and talented now than they were three years ago. Um, I don't, I don't know if they're ever going to have another threesome like that again, but, um, I digress. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's, it's day and night between the quality of players on the field in this game. Um, and yeah, you know what? Wyatt Hubert and AJ Parker are decent players. They're, they're good players. Um, but you know, they're like, they're some of the best defenders in the Big Twelve, in the same like in the same vein as like Colby Harvell, Peel is, or Trace Ford, or any of the guys on Oklahoma State. It's just like they're placeholders until someone from OU, Texas, or TCU takes their place.
0: All right, yeah, that's the last thing I want to just bring up is the the fact that Arkansas State had a receiver that was able to do pretty much whatever he wanted. And I thought one was got plenty of those receivers that should be able to do pretty much whatever it wants.
1: and I thought the talk uh, the talk surrounding Jonathan Adams was he made he made a lot of big plays for for Arkansas State in that game. But if you look at the entire tape, I mean, he he disappears for like for quarters at a time. he's he's a good player. He's good. He's good as a jump ball guy. I, I don't everyone was kind of was kind of drooling like, oh, this is an NFL guy like on the day it happened. I think that was clearly a product of just not a lot of stuff happening that day. That guy is a is a, is a late round prospect in a and a decent college player. That that's about it. I, I
0: hey, he's on the he's on the watch list, man. He's you're just spitting in Joel Klatt's face with your take. I'm not right spitting now. in
1: his face. Like he made he made some <laughs> nice made some nice contested catches against Kansas State.
0: He's a nice player. He's got a good size. Didn't seem to be a burner or anything like that, but no, yeah, his size not, is definitely his, his biggest asset. All right, let's turn the page. Let's flip it to the other side. Oklahoma's defense against Skylar Thompson and Kansas state's offense. And so we started the, the last discussion talking about the trenches and you said, Kansas state did not look good on both sides of the ball. So now let's talk about the offensive line for Kansas state and, Yes, I I would agree with you. Kansas State's offensive line, yikes, man. It it did not look good. It's young. It showed. It didn't help that their starting center, Noah Johnson, was injured in the first quarter, so they had to move their left guard over to center, Ben Adler. And I saw later in the game that they had a different person, number 55, didn't write his name down. He was playing center, so they were going through a bunch of different centers, so that means that their entire grouping was – was different throughout the game. I know that Chris Kleiman said he hopes that Noah Johnson is going to be able to go against Oklahoma, but he's not sure. So they could be down Johnson again. And, and so it's, it's not good for Kansas State on the offensive line. And simply, I hope that this game does happen because we know that the offensive line for Missouri State was was horrible and Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's defense – Built up some confidence and looked really good against that that front that that front five. I hope that they can play this game because it would be nice if Oklahoma's defensive line, which is still working through things, still without Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, obviously is gone, still trying to figure things out. It'd be nice if they got another game where they can build some confidence against what looks to be a a to be charitable, a below average Kansas State offensive line.
1: Man, they look terrible. On the offensive line, Ugh. the right tackle number uh, number fifty, dude got beat like a Ugh. drum over and over and him, over man. again. I, I felt felt really bad, bad for, for that him. guy. Like Ugh. you know when it's ba- like I'm I'm not I'm not offensive line expert. I typically only notice stuff in a live game if they're really getting blown up. That dude was getting freaking dominated like every single play. Poor guy. Like I mean I'm. I feel really bad for him, actually. Um, But, Lee, did you notice, I thought Arkansas State's defensive scheme, uh, it seemed like their uh, their front four was pretty active and they were trying to shoot some gaps quite a bit in that game. And they Mm -hmm. did it with lots of success.
0: (laughs) 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 They got into the backfield a lot. Yeah, it, it was not a good game for Kansas State's offensive line. Let's check out some of the numbers. I mean, Kansas State's offense just... I couldn't even put together 400 yards 5.4 yards per play uh, tons of mistakes just i mean both a lot of penalties a, of, a lot of penalties yeah both teams made a lot of mistakes arkansas state made a lot of mistakes and still won the game so uh, yeah it's just the offensive line was not impressive at all for kansas state <sighs> tough time running the football and that was
1: uh, that was a big deal in the game last season Kansas state probably had the most veteran offensive line in the big 12 last season. Uh, They had a a, a very veteran unit and they don't anymore. I mean, they got a lot of, they got a lot of new guys up there and it, like you said, it really shows. And especially for a team um, that has an offense that's basically built around the offensive line. Um, Kansas is kind of like, you can sort of tell like there's, there's kind of some Wisconsin in them. They, they, they want to lean on people. They want to build up that kind of like blue collar offensive line mentality. Oh my man, they looked terrible in that first game. Like I, I can't. But also at the same time, you know, I'm I I know that Kansas State is really gonna try to test OU out in diagnosing gaps, and um because that they had so much success doing that last season in the run game, um and I just got to think that that's gonna be a a really large part of their game plan going forward, um especially against an, an Oklahoma defensive line that is still shorthanded. I think, you know, in terms of short-handedness, I think really the only person they're going to be missing is Ronnie Perkins, who is out with a suspension, but still, I mean, it's still an untested group. We liked what we saw against Missouri state, um, but they're actually going to go up against a legitimate kind of power running team here. Um, and that's, that's one of these offenses where the defensive line, if they're winning one-on-one up front, they can stop Kansas state before they get going completely. I mean, that's, that's how much they struggled, especially, you know, on the interior and, I mean, the entire offensive line was bad. All of it. You know, I, I almost just said they especially struggled in the, on the interior five minutes after I, I was just, I was ripping the right tackle for getting killed every single play. Um, it's, this is an opportunity potentially for the Oklahoma defense to play really well, make some sort of statement, um, but they need to play smart, and they need to know that Kansas State is really going to try to stress probably the same things that they struggled with last season, um, because OU hasn't they put one you know one game on tape against a, a really terrible team. Um, they didn't have any spring practice. You have no idea how many guys have been available over the course of, of summer and fall practice. Kansas State's going to come in and try and probably try to do the same things that they did the last time, um, mm-hmm. at, at least on the defensive side of the ball or I'm sorry at least on the offensive side of the ball attacking OU you know uh, on defense
0: yeah they were so, they were uh, they're trying to use Oklahoma's aggressiveness in the front four front seven against them and I mean, that's going to happen boy, again i think
1: they're going to try um we'll see i we're i think we're definitely going to get uh you know a taste of how good Perry and Winfrey is this week um i'm as long as he's not out for covid or any other reasons that we wouldn't know about but um yeah yeah, this is this is going to this is going to be a big test for him because you have you know maybe going up against a guy who is not 100% healthy if if he does start and if you're not you're going up against their their number 2 option at center. It's still this is still a power 5 team that really tries to lean on you and, and run it down your throat in the run game. And this this is like the type of offense that you want a guy like Perry and Winfrey just to sort of you want to throw him out here and just say, "Hey man, we'd like it if you can just kind of take care of the run game." Um <laughs> if you're good enough at nose <laughs> tackle you can do that and so i we're gonna find out if he's good enough to do that i think but um what do you think you think OU is gonna try to throw guys in the box do you think they're gonna or do you think it's gonna be more of a uh more of a show like a like a two deep safety and then they rotate dty into the box at the snap to get an extra defender or i don't know it's gonna be like do we see Buki a know, lot? I... you know they ran that they ran kind of that uh that 21 personnel play a lot where they got two running backs and they run kind of the outside zone. Uh they they hammered OU on that over and over again uh last October. Are they gonna, are they going to lean on that again? Are they going to run right at uh, right at Buki and trying to get him out of position? You know, if I'm you know, that's what I would be trying to do if I was Kansas State. I would be testing your gap discipline and then testing have they shorn up any of those weaknesses on the edge that they had in the second half of last season? Um I think that's probably what you need to look at.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. I I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to Oklahoma's strategy in this game, but I, I hadn't I hadn't thought about last year that much. And you make a good point. I the way Kansas State again used Oklahoma's aggressiveness, how Alex Grinch likes those defensive linemen to shoot gaps and and shift at the line of scrimmage, and that ended up not working, and and they were able to get big holes in certain situations. So. Hopefully Oklahoma can do whatever Arkansas State did to stop the run because Kansas State averaged 2.3 yards per carry against Arkansas State. It couldn't run the football and it could just be as simple as hat on hat, talent, strength, overwhelming this bad Kansas State offensive line, more specifically this young Kansas State offensive line and also and maybe that'll be the difference It's just it'll be an experience versus inexperience and talent versus still trying to figure things out and not practicing very much together because of either injuries or COVID in Kansas state. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, and also um,
1: this was sort of buried in like in all of the takeaways from their loss against Arkansas state, but their running backs suck. Like they're like, I, I know everyone loves Deuce Vaughn. That guy's that. No, he's not gonna <laughs> guys five, five. He's going to get, he's not going to hold up over the course of a, uh, and, he, and he was like, once he got into space, he was fine. But that's the problem. You got to get him into space, and he's five five, and
0: he's not Darren Sproles. So I was gonna say, so this Deuce Vaughn is smaller than Darren Sproles. <laughs> like uh, Vaughn is 5'5", five, Sproles is 5'6". Okay, it's only an inch, but Sproles had twenty pounds on Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn's 5'5", 170. So you know, we were kind of joking last week about how Todd Hudson. Yeah, he's very little. He's 5'5", probably couldn't get number one running back type carries throughout a game against the number one defense because he would probably get smashed and killed because he's so little. Kansas State's essentially throwing out Todd Hudson at running back as one of their main guys. But Todd Hudson's built more like Darren Sproles. Hudson's 5'5", 190. So this will be interesting. I, he, he looked okay against Arkansas State. He looks once, like once he got
1: into space, he was clearly better than the other guy. The other yeah, guy is totally yeah. useless. He's just not good at all.
0: And this is only based off of his number because he's number twenty-two. But didn't he look like Quentin Griffin to you? I no, really? <laughs> Quentin Griffin's better. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I think just based on the size and the number, I think, yeah, sure, I think maybe, yeah, you, know, you got very like similar.
1: Kansas State is like is unironically. Getting in the eye, like putting that guy in the eye formation and turning around and giving him the ball Un- up the ironically. middle. What are they doing? That tells they don't got yeah. anybody. That's what that tells me. Like I like I, I understand the novelty of like a five five running back is fun and like hey I, I'm a small dude like I cool man like small people power like I get it but. Geez, man! Like, does Kansas State not have have any better options than what they what they rolled out there? Like, that's not good for them. Like, they're really bad at that position for a team that really wants to lean on you in the run game. And I, I don't. That's not
0: that's not going to be good for them going forward. I, I just, oof. I know at least one Kansas State fan who is excited about the Deuce Vaughn era, and we know some other Kansas State fans within our family that we could ask about to see if if they're super excited about the deuce vaughn era so in manhattan i think they're they're down with the deuce i think if you give him the ball in space then yeah he can he can potentially do some damage
1: but it's not like the guy's gonna run through any arm tackles or anything
0: (laughs) you realize that you just guaranteed that deuce vaughn's gonna run for at least two touchdowns
1: oh yeah yeah. okay but you know at least we can at least if it happens we can we we can clip these and we can play him back
0: yeah the other guy like, that they give the ball to is Harry Trotter, who didn't do much. Oh uh, yeah, thank you. I knew Arkansas. it was a. Yeah, that
1: guy was, that guy was just was very clearly just run into pile and then go down. Like he did, <laughs> he did
0: nothing. Based off of his uh, 2.7 yards per carry average, yeah, that's that's basically what he did. I would say the, the, game. the
1: nicest thing that I would say about Kansas State is I feel like they're two outside receivers, Knowles and uh, the other guy, I can't think of his name. He's got kind of a unique, awesome first name that is slipping my mind right now.
0: Hold up, I'm looking it up for you.
1: Um, but I think, like in terms of like athleticism and like physical profile, those are probably the two most impressive receivers Kansas State has had on their team in a long time, I would say. But like when the ball was in the air and as actual receivers, honestly, they looked fine. Malik Knowles had a really nice catch um, on what should have been a touchdown that Skylar yeah. Thompson <laughs> yep. just just airmailed
0: to him. One um, of many horrible throws by Skylar Thompson, which we have to yet. Did you notice that little him That yet. little
1: corner route that, that they were running was wide open the entire game and Skylar Thompson only hit it like once for the first touchdown of the game. And then everything else was just was way off. But yeah, that had, was a great pass.
0: They had they guys the first touchdown pass was a, a great throw.
1: Yeah, they they had guys like open in between the corner and the safety on that zone all game. And yeah, and Skylar Thompson hit him once on the very first on on the very first drive when they scored that touchdown. Other than that, he was and if I was speaking from a Kansas State fans perspective, he was alarmingly inaccurate. Like <laughs> like that's looks like he I don't know, but of course, like he looks that bad that I'm expecting him to to be amazing against Oklahoma.
0: Because like I, yeah, I mean, I'm so frustrating because he was so good. He hit almost every single throw against the Sooners a year ago, and then you watch against Arkansas State, he makes that first touchdown pass. Like, all right, you know what? Nice to see another defense is gonna be uh, is gonna see the 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 super accurate Skylar Thompson, and then he made maybe two more really nice throws the entire game. Everything else was like yikes. Yeah. So I, I mean, by the way, that receiver is Chebastian Taylor, and awesome. he looks like he's the best. He's he's their best offensive player. I think Hall of Fame. Six name. four. Yeah. You say six four, uh Chebastin. C H A B A S T I N. Unbelievably and cool name. I think I, I think he's their best offensive player. Uh, you thought he's so? He's six huh? four, two twenty five. He. Was, looked really good with the ball in his hands, really athletic, pretty fast. I, he is the one player on their offense where I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, Malik Knowles, yeah, the one-handed catch. Outside of that, I didn't notice him really at all in the game. Maybe it's because Skyler Thompson was so scattershot that he was targeted, but he he just didn't have a chance to make any other catches. I don't know. But I thought Sebastian Taylor was the best offensive player for Kansas State, and uh, Skyler Thompson missed him on two deep post routes where – he was wide open. That should have been touchdowns both. But uh, actually, one of them, one time he hit him in, in, as a pretty good throw. He hit him in, in the hands, and t- Taylor dropped it. It was slightly difficult because he had to look straight up into the air behind him to try to make the catch. And Joel Clack kept making the point on the broadcast that if Thompson would just lead him across the field where there's no defenders, it'll be a much easier catch for Taylor. But twice, if not three times in the game, thompson threw the ball just straight up the field which made it difficult for taylor to get underneath the pass and and that cost kansas state points but i was impressed by taylor i thought he was really good
1: yeah no i i i would probably agree with you that he was the best offensive player um it's between him and Knowles for sure so you know i um god man skylar thompson is just a i'm so upset because he looks terrible I'm I'm going to I'm going to observe that he looks terrible and he's 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 going to be amazing on Saturday. I mean this is he looks terrible last year leading up to OU. Oh yeah. He looks awful. Oh, yeah. And he was pretty much awful after OU too. So, I I'm sitting here complaining. That's what makes college football great. Like that like it just sucks that it was it was the OU game that he just kind of turned it on. But mm-hmm. I, I got Like, I mean, if you are on that OU defense and you're a member of that secondary, and there's a lot of guys who are a member of that secondary last season against Kansas State, don't you kind of feel like your pride was taken away from you a little bit by having Skylar Thompson light you up like that? Like it, it, it is. I mean, he's he's not a quality football player. Um, I mean, relatively speaking, of course, like uh, the qualifier of you know, but. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's that's why yeah, that's why I just like the good. the la- last year's game is completely haunting me. <laughs> and I I cuz I was I was very unimpressed by Kansas State last season going into that game. Um based off what I saw last season, them losing to Arkansas State in the fashion they did does not surprise me at all. Um the style of football they play is dangerous. Um when you're going to when when you try to lean on the run game like that and you know, I just I don't know, man. I have no idea what they're going to look like. If Kansas State looks like they did two weeks ago, they're going to get freaking smoked by Oklahoma. But yeah, I think it's really unlikely they look as bad as they did two weeks ago. I, just, I, yeah, I'm,
0: I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree with that. They're going to get up more for an OU game, especially now that they're four touchdown underdogs. And I read somewhere that this is the... I think this is the biggest K State's ever been an underdog to, to OU. At least maybe in the maybe maybe not the biggest, but something like in the modern era. Or I'm like something pretty like. sure they were
1: 28 point favorites in Manhattan last year.
0: No, I, it, they were 23 or 23 oh. and a half point favorites last year. So it's huh. 28 right now. So it's 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 big. That's um, a that's
1: a really big. That's a very large line for a for a conference game when you're not playing Kansas. Um, yes. So, I don't know, does Vegas know things that we don't? Are they more privy to the struggles that Kansas State has had with COVID? Who knows? Or is it just or is it just a reaction to, wow, oh, you looked great. Kansas State looks terrible.
0: Yeah, it's probably a little bit of everything. Uh, kind of the last thing I think with Kansas State's offense, we haven't really discussed at all. And this could be a brief thing, but and I had totally forgotten about this until I looked at the box score from last year's game. Uh, Skylar Thompson and his legs—he's a running quarterback. He had four touchdowns against Oklahoma last year, and that's whenever they just used their power and strength and just did quarterback power, and it was just—it was unstoppable. It was like when Sam Ellinger would do it in—you know—when Mike Stoops was calling the defense for Oklahoma in the OU-Texas game, where I think that or was twenty eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Or the I bell-dozer. much I much prefer
1: to uh, to reference the belldozer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, that's another part of Thompson's game that didn't really show up against Arkansas State. He didn't really run. There was maybe one play where he picked they up some positive block yardage. Arkansas State. So yeah, that's, that's why. probably why they ran a couple of designed quarterback power runs. But for the most part, he he didn't do anything with his legs. So. Running quarterbacks, have, you know, they're tough for everybody, and especially it seems like for Oklahoma over the years. And so if Oklahoma can keep him in the pocket and prevent him running, I remember going into last year's game, we talked about that a lot. We gotta keep, <laughs> Oklahoma's got to keep this guy from running. And he had like 56 yards against OU, and then he had those four touchdowns, all short yardage for the most part. So that's throw a little bit of cold water on the defense, Skylar Thompson can run, and it happened against OU last year, which was really frustrating. Uh, All right, so you've listened to this podcast for the last hour and 15 minutes. You know where we're going with this. I'll just say, Grant, what's going to happen in this game? We both think Oklahoma's going to win. The question is, by how much? And a secondary question is, oh my God, could this be a situation where we are totally wrong and – it's just like last year, and Kansas State somehow beats Oklahoma, even though no one saw it coming. What do you is think? Is it possible? Yeah, I
1: suppose well, it's possible. Everything's possible, I and mean, it's it's extremely unlikely. Yeah, we can we can only go off of the information that is out there in the either right now. Um, both of these teams have played one have played one game. That's all we have to go off of. Kansas State looks terrible. OU did not. We already know OU has a, a very distinct talent advantage, athleticism advantage. Um, I am I'm worried about this game. Just just from a poison pill, I, I don't think they're gonna lose. I, I, I'm worried in the sense that I, I, I could definitely see people overlooking Kansas State. I was I was listening to other OU podcasts leading up to this one. It it seems like a lot of people think that oh, OU is just gonna kinda roll over them. And you are People who feel that way are completely com- being completely rational. I get it. I see it with my eyes too. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling just based off of last year because Kansas State looked did not was not good last year, um, and it still it still happened. So I'm gonna say Lee that they in they they there's times in this game where they struggle, but they they pull away eventually. I think they're gonna win like 49 to to 24, something like that. Not they're not going to cover.
0: I really hope that Oklahoma's defense doesn't give up 24 points to this Kansas State offense. I just don't think it's a very good offense. Man, I, I'm glad that you're the measured one today because I'm going to take the other angle. I think Oklahoma is going to win this game by a lot of points. I, I, I know that it's irrational and smart, and I should use my experience as somebody who's watched and covered college football for a long time, not as long as a lot of people, but a decent amount of time and is confident in it. And I should be a little bit more measured with my thoughts because this is a Big 12 conference game and Kansas State's got a good coach. But I i don't want to be measured right now. I, I texted you yesterday you know, based off of what I'm hearing in Oklahoma's press conference, hearing Lincoln Riley talk and Spencer Rattler talk. <laughs> excuse me, and Theo Howard talk, they all sound good. And I know that that doesn't mean a whole lot, but the way Oklahoma, the vibe around the program has been all throughout the offseason leading up to game number one, we talked about a lot of it on our big mega season preview podcast. It just seemed like they were distracted and not all quite into it. I didn't get that this week. To me, it sounds like Oklahoma has turned some sort of a page and these guys think they're good and they want to go out and they want to beat up on somebody. Thinking so you're good I, is maybe uh is is one of the worst things that you know, I mean. But yeah, if you're not good and thinking that you're good, yeah, it could be bad. But if but if you are good and you think you're good and you know you're good, that could be a dangerous combination for everybody else. Yeah. No, just, uh, yeah. Just ask Clemson, just ask Alabama over the years. I mean, those those guys know they're good. And See, I just I
1: I, I kind of hate that there's that variable of COVID just sort of hanging over everything just because, yeah, I mean, this is one of those games where if OU came out and let's say they, they did dominate Kansas State, their defense played really well and physi- like, up front physically just sort of beat them around a bit. Yeah, this is one of those games that I would maybe point towards and I would say, guys, this might be evidence that OU is is taking that next step. Because I, I, I think everyone agrees maybe that next step probably is beating everyone in the Big 12 that's not Texas by just killing everyone, kind of like Clemson is doing right now. That's a great uh, That's point. the next step. I, I feel like a great if you point. start to see OU destroy everyone that's not Texas, that is evidence that they have taken that next step and they've gotten to the point of Clemson and Alabama um, because that does take consistent excellence, even if you do have the distinct talent advantage, which OU has had. Um I mean, since 2016, over this conference, it still takes a lot of excellence, routine, structure to come out and just destroy everybody every single week. Um, and that's—I—I I still think that's sort of what this program is building towards. This year, I don't know. It's going to be a lot harder to make those determinations because of COVID. And like, i, I think if OU comes out and kills K-State, COVID is—is a—is a big reason why, probably. Because um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't think Kansas State was going to be worse this season than they were last year. They have right. like they, they returned a lot of people from their team last season. They went seven and five last year in a, in a power conference, went on the road and beat Mississippi State easily um it wasn't they didn't beat him easily but easily but they but they they clearly were the better team in that game is what i think they had a
0: special teams touchdown in that game and it it wasn't an easy it wasn't
1: an easy yeah it wasn't an easy win but they won decisively like they were clearly but and i like i kansas state being significantly worse even when they did return like 14 15 guys they returned pretty much everyone on their defense I know they lost pretty much their entire offensive line. I just I think it's really unlikely that the Kansas State that we saw two weeks ago is the real Kansas State. I think it's really unlikely. Um, you just you don't you don't go seven and five in a power conference, return fifteen starters, and get materially worse, like way worse, like to like Kansas level worse. Um, so there's clearly other things going on here, and I think it's we can safely say that that other thing going on is COVID. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, it, and as long as that is hanging to, over everything, to my thoughts. as long as everything is hanging over that, I have no idea what we're going to get week to week at all. Um, so that's why, I, that's why I, want, I want people to pump the brakes a little bit. I'm usually the guy who is just full speed ahead. Let's go. Let's get that bread. Pump the brakes on this one a little bit for right now. This is maybe the best coach team in the Big 12 they're going up against. And I know they've been dealing with a bunch of crap but they are absolutely going to identify what OU struggles with or at least what they think they struggle with, what they have in the past, and they're going to pick at it over and over again until OU stops it. And if OU proves they can stop it, awesome, great. OU's defense has not been able to show that at all in over a decade now. If a team picks out your weakness and picks at it over and over again, can you stop it? OU's defense had not been able to do that at all. Kansas State's going to try to do it well someone's got to give so and yeah maybe maybe kansas state's offensive line is just so bad that it doesn't matter but the cliche it's a cliche for a reason you know that it's you have your most improvement from game one to game two and i don't know yeah i just this a lot of a lot of the the rhetoric the last two weeks surrounding this game in kansas state just seems very poison pillish to me um and i've just i've I've fallen into that trap way too many times as a fan of this
0: program, um, and I and I'd prefer not to do it this time. I hear you. I think you make a lot of compelling and solid points about this upcoming matchup. At the same time, I am I'm going to go get that bread. I think Oklahoma wins this game fifty to fourteen, and yes, COVID. It factors into my prediction. I, I think it's, I think Oklahoma is starting to. Again, it's a, it's been my theory all along that, that that's really weighed them down a lot, and it's not just Oklahoma. It's every team, and again, maybe I'm just too close to the program, so I'm I'm more aware of what all the coaches say and what the players say and the vibe I get compared to Kansas State, compared to Texas, compared to Clemson. That makes sense. It seems like that's. Starting to change a little bit after that Missouri State game. We're reading the tea leaves. It sounds like there's going to be more people available for this game. Lincoln Riley seemed really in good spirits for the most part. So I just I like where Oklahoma is right now, and so I feel pretty confident in picking them to win this game going away, and I think they're going to play really well. So there you go. But we're we're on different ends a little bit. I like that. Yeah, you
1: know, if they if they come out and they just they beat the brakes off of them. Like I'm 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 gonna be the very first person to come out and say, Good, I was wrong. So um but I, I I do think people need to just kinda need to slow down. There's so much uncertainty. So much uncertainty this year. I have like we still have no clue who's been
0: practicing for OU. Yeah, that's true. It's all baked into the cake though at this point. That's all baked into the Vegas line. All of that stuff is there. And yeah, maybe uh, and we'll adjust
1: as the season goes on, but I, I just, yeah, I, I haven't seen enough based off of one week, two weeks ago, which felt, I mean, which felt like a spring game, if we're going to be totally honest. Kansas State's game didn't. Kansas State's game felt like a real college
0: football game. Um, OU's didn't at all. <laughs> yeah, there might be something to that. There might be something to playing in a close game with the energy that high and the stakes a little higher. And yeah, that, there could be something to that for sure. Uh, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Rally. Uh, Spencer Rattler hasn't dealt with that before. So we'll see. Uh, not sure how much you want to spend, how much time you want to spend on this, but it's worth mentioning that on Tuesday, Lincoln Riley spoke in detail uh, for the first time, really about the three suspended players, Ronnie Perkins, Trajan Bridges, and Ramondre Stevenson. It was, it wasn't directly about them. He was asking a question, but the inference was, it was all there as, as kind of what it is in these press conferences The uh, based, you know, to not go over too much, what he said, Essentially, what I got out of it was that it doesn't sound like he thinks or he's confident that that suspension, the six-game suspension, is going to be reduced, and he used the word archaic once again. He's used that before describing this rule, and the way he was discussing things and he was making hints at, uh, I mean, he it was the most public evidence from Lincoln Riley without actually mentioning drugs or marijuana or whatever the heck the, the thing is that they've been reportedly suspended suspended for riley it was the most he's ever kind of referenced like oh and he says things like that happens in in certain places and you get help and you're a lot, you get a lot of support and it's just different and so it sounds like that's the case i i know that everyone kind of knows that already anyways but since you know try to do big j journalism here you know i i want to give credit to some of the people who have made those reports and I know it's not something that Lincoln Riley has officially acknowledged yet but the main takeaway is that he wants to get this rule changed he's not sure if it's going to be changed anytime soon and more specifically he's not sure if it's going to be changed in time for this suspension to get reduced and he said even though It might not happen to where it gets changed quickly. He just hopes it gets done so other players and other teams don't have to deal with this in the future because he thinks that's the right thing to do. So, man, if even with the season being reduced by two games, if they don't reduce the suspension, that's that's pretty weak by the NCAA, but what do you expect?
1: All I know is that I am pretty sure if you polled every single college football coach in the country and you posed them the scenario of would you rather your players... Be out drinking on a Friday night, or would you prefer that they're in their dorm room smoking a joint with their teammates playing video games? I know exactly which one they would choose. Every single one of them. That's all I'm. That, yeah. I, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I on mean, it. if
0: it's a if it's a black and white decision like that, sure. That's a that's probably an easy one. I, they would yeah, prefer neither. Like, yeah, but we if, don't. If it, yeah, if they have to pick, I know that's the point, but I want to clarify.
1: It's just. Like it's it's a it's a no brainer at this point in time. And it's 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 the NCAA, like like I've said on this podcast numerous times, their incompetence gives off the appearance of corruption. They're just absurdly incompetent. That's all. And and they are in this and so yeah, I'm glad we, we talked about this last week, I think, too. Um just like brought up the idea of like, well, I mean, there had to have been an appeal at some point in time because otherwise you're just waiting around for the NCAA to make a decision on something that they haven't been given a decision to make on. Um And it does sound like they were just kind of waiting around for the rule to be changed, which I, that's that's just not going to happen. I, I don't that rule is not going to be changed until there's someone from, frankly, our generation in, in the in the seat there. That's just how it's going to work.
0: All right, yeah, I, I have nothing else really to add on this. Just wanted to bring it up because I think that was, it was relevant that Riley paused quite a bit before addressing this because he was asked a question by Bill Haston from the Tulsa World, who's a really good reporter, really good columnist, uh, been around the beat for a long time in Oklahoma. And uh, it was a somewhat, it was, a mostly, it was the most thoughtful of answers that he has provided on this topic ever since, really ever, ever since it happened going back to the Peach Bowl.
1: No, and he's like, it's, I, I. he struck a nice chord. He's, he's going to bat for his players. He's trying to stick up for his players. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just, I, we all, everyone has a different opinion on this type of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it does come down. The rules are the rules and you can always make, you know, that case. If they knew a drug test was coming, then it's on them. And, and I, 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 I do agree with that to an extent, um, it's just, it sucks. It's, it's, yeah, he's, he, he, he feels like it's, he feels like it, it's not right and he's going to bat for his players and I, I
0: totally get it. I do think also Riley made a comment. Let's see, I'm looking through the log right now to see if I made a note of it. Um, now I, I believe he said something along the lines of not everybody, not every team gets these tests and Obviously, Oklahoma gets a test like that, going up you know before a bowl game. I guess maybe does does every team that goes to a bowl test? Maybe that's the rule. If you go to a bowl game, I or don't, something, I guess I. I, I don't guess, know see, the I, rule. See, I don't To know be honest either. with you, I don't well, know I remember. I was making a comment is. about how not everybody gets tested, or you know, only certain teams get tested. So that was kind of another thing. Is like, it's not like every team is getting the test. You know, that's you know, maybe I'm misquoting him, but I'm I, I, be, I do recall him saying that. I'm like I. I'm going to
1: be really shocked. Like I would be really shocked if if every team in the entire country doesn't have a a bunch of dudes smoking weed on their team. It's it's 2020. That's that's how it works these days. Like I just I don't um You're right. I mean that that's an interesting thing. Who gets tested, who doesn't? I can't yeah, believe I this know. doesn't happen more often. People get busted for yeah, that. It's,
0: it's always After the regular season ends, it's always going into these bowl games and now playoff games throughout all the years, whether it's whether it's suspensions because of drug related stuff or academic ineligibility. It's always it always seems to come at the end of the season. It's never it's never like, oh, it's November 1st and so and so got suspended for weed or something. You know, isn't it always it's always after the season's over going into the most important game of the year. (laughs) So funny how that works out.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's the whole thing is silly. I, I don't, and and it does suck. I mean, once the, when the NCAA is involved, it's just, it's, it's always divisive because they're going to do something and there's not going to be a lot of logic behind it or a lot of explanation behind it either. So it just is what it is, I guess.
0: All right. Before we go, I believe you texted me Saturday or Sunday, one of the days do you want to say something about the other Division One football team in Oklahoma that made its season appearance on Saturday against Tulsa? Did you have something that you wanted to say, or did you want to save it for later? Or?
1: I should probably – I mean <laughs> – Was it two weeks ago on the podcast where I said the only thing I'm certain about in the Big 12 is that Oklahoma State is overrated? And I specifically <laughs> said it was because they can't block anybody.
0: See, I thought you were going to say it's because their their defense is probably not as good as everyone says it is. I think it's you not, might have mentioned something along not. those lines too.
1: It isn't. Um, but, you know, yeah, I guess I didn't. Um, their defense definitely isn't as good as people think, but I, I think their defense is going to be fine against everyone that's not Oklahoma and Texas. Like, I, 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 just, I just think that's what measures a good defense. Can you, can you stop Oklahoma? And you're not going to be able to do it consistently, but can you slow them down? Oklahoma State can't, so their defense isn't good. Like TCU can sometimes slow down OU. So, um, but no, yeah, Oklahoma State looked really bad. Um, And it it mostly stemmed from their offensive line, which is a complete mess. And we knew their offensive line was going to be a complete mess coming into this season. Um, I know a lot of people got excited over Josh Sills from West Virginia. He's a good player too, but you need a lot more than that guy to have a good offensive line. Uh, yeah it didn't help
0: that one of their starters was injured in the game as well I think one of their uh, I think last uh Cole Birmingham I think one of the guards got hurt and so and he was making his first start I think and so and that was one of the the weak parts of the line and so he had to he left the game and and so Mike Gundy talked about how they were playing musical chairs the entire time trying to figure out the right group and it did not look good I know Dusty had a lot of a lot of negative things to say about it. He knows a lot more about offensive line play than you and me. On Sunday, we were kind of going over it. And it's, it's, it's obvious they, they were not good. Uh, they couldn't run the football for the most part. The most interesting thing to me, though, obviously, who knows what would have happened if Spencer Sanders would have played the full game. I'm sure it would have gone a lot better for Oklahoma State. He's clearly a lot better than the guy they brought in, Ethan Bullock. My thing is, how is it that Ethan Bullock stayed in the game as long as he stayed in the game. And you might immediately respond to to my question saying, oh, let me explain this to you, Lee. Well, after the game, Mike Gundy said that Shane Illingworth, the true freshman quarterback, the reason why he came into the game so late and they were unsure is because Illingworth hadn't practiced really at all because he had been in quarantine or he had been in isolation for contact tracing. And so he just... They they weren't even sure if he was going to suit up for that game, so they didn't know what they were going to get from, uh, from that guy if they brought him in. And to that, I would say, okay, that's a good point. That's a good explanation for him not being the backup quarterback. But when Ethan Bullock goes out there and it's three and out, goes out there and it's three and out, goes out there and it's three and out, shows no mobility, no athletic ability, no fire or willingness to even really want to play the position or try to seize his opportunity and you get to maybe the fourth series and you're still not doing anything with this guy why not just throw somebody else new out there what's the worst that can happen because he was out there way too long maybe it's because the game was still so close and Mike Gundy was like you know what it's still a one-score game. Therefore, I, I, I can still see if I can get anything out of this guy because I'm not sure if this true freshman can do anything because he didn't really practice much. But they finally go to him after I think Bullock played seven series. And immediately, Illingworth was like, okay, I'm just going to throw the ball up to Tylan Wallace, and he's going to make plays for me. And they scored a touchdown, and then they went down and scored a field goal, and they ended up winning the game. So I'm just confused as to why a coach can stay with a guy that long even though I know that Illingworth was a true freshman hadn't practiced much what's the downside like, you already know that this bullet guys you've seen it he's not going to do anything for you it's the same kind of principle I think Grant as Alabama Georgia in the national title game where Nick Saban was like eh. I mean Jalen Hurts clearly is not going to win this game for us I, I mean if I leave him out there it's not going to get any better so What's the downside of trying something new? I mean, I've seen this guy in practice, Tua. I know he's really good. Let's give him a shot.
1: I mean, it's and a slightly different scenario.
0: Well, because yes, you're right. Because Tua had actually had, had been practicing, and I guess Illingworth had not been.
1: Like at that but, time, you know, at that time, Jalen Hurts was something absurd. Probably what like 25 and one as a starter at that time in his career. He was like. Um I can I can't remember who brought it. It was it was on a recent OU podcast. It, it was probably it was probably Brady and Keegan, but uh one of those guys brought up the point was we were you know we are spoiled as OU fans. Like Jalen Hurts just looks like a regular good college quarterback and we thought he was terrible. <laughs> like it's Jalen Hurts was he was a Heisman finalist and we thought he was
0: woefully limited.
1: Like that's how that's that, there's a there's a decent point there well that's, that's Hertz, a
0: simplistic way to look at it though i think i mean i know the only reason Jaylen he was a Hertz, though, finalist is i, I, he was I out just want to
1: jalen hurts was a really good college player so it's a different and, yes, and you of course knew he was. like nick saban knew what he had in tua like it's the same deal it was jalen hurts and then he had spencer rattler there <laughs> and so he knew what he had it's it's not yeah. like i i you know there's I can see where Illingworth
0: is considered to be like the best quarterback prospect. I, you know, I guess Spencer Sanders was. I mean, Gundy's done a pretty good job with quarterbacks recently getting Spencer Sanders and then Illingworth. I mean, he's a four star guy out of California, pocket passer type. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I think the biggest reason, obviously, is because he didn't practice much.
1: He probably didn't have, I'm I'm sure when they put that guy in, it's probably like, oh crap, we only got 20% of the playbook now. But if 20% of the playbook is just give the ball to Tylan Wallace, then yeah. And so this is what, and this is also the thing that I really want to point out. Oklahoma State, if they were going to be good this year, it was going to be because of Tylan Wallace, not because of Chuba Hubbard. Tylan Wallace makes that offense go. If they just have to turn around and give it to Chuba Hubbard 40 times a game this season, they will suck. Put your offense through Tylan Wallace. He is the best player yeah, I mean, on that team, and it's really not even close.
0: Yeah, and with the offense, uh, the offensive line being so unproven, it, yeah, it could be a class a classic situation where Oklahoma State's got to pass to set up the run.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> to I kinda, don't
0: to to make it a little easier for for Chuba to find some running room because think... once Spencer Sanders left the game, Tulsa was I mean eight guys in the box. Just yeah, we're going to go after Chuba. This guy can't throw, <laughs> and he, he had nowhere to go. Mixed with the bad offensive line, it was a disaster. And of course,
1: you know you don't you don't you don't want to crush Chuba that much for because yeah, I mean if the guys aren't blocking in front of you, it's going to be pretty hard. But I don't know. I think the best running back in the country, quote unquote, should still be able to make things happen,
0: even when it's it's Yeah, because he, didn't, he didn't have a good game. But I'm I'm not going to bury him after one game. I, I'm I not going to bury him. It's really just good. like it's
1: not he's. He's, he's not as good as people want to make him out to be. And he wasn't last year either. He is he is a one-cut straight ahead runner. Anything else he is he's very ordinary. And you know, I guys just he's he's a, he's a he's a decent player. He's fine.
0: Well, they got West Virginia this Saturday. Super interesting game. It is. I don't know how good West Virginia is. They might be they might be good, but they might be bad. I don't know or they could just be average. They destroyed
1: Eastern Kentucky, but I think Eastern Kentucky was like the week before they played West Virginia, lost by sixty to some like mm-hmm. Group of Five team. So, oh yeah,
0: oh yeah, is it Marshall? They lose to Marshall. I think so. Marshall looked good this past week. By the way, I was definitely oh. on the other side. Yeah, it was Marshall. Yeah, and so I, I, and I did say in
1: our season preview that I thought it was going to be West Virginia was going to be the team of those kind of back of the pack teams to make the step this season. Um West Virginia last season, even when they did struggle, they looked at the most of, of of the teams, and, and Chris Kleiman and K State to this, to this, you know, obviously to this point as well. Even though West Virginia struggled last year, it looked like what Neil Brown was was like implementing there was sticking. Because they played hard. There were there were uh there were periods of their season where they were really competitive. Um their defensive line's really good. And so I, I I'm curious to see how that looks against Oklahoma State's just totally depleted front. Um the best the best defensive player in this conference is um is Darius Stills from West Virginia. He's the best defensive player in the conference going into the season. Um so
0: you yeah, have to admit I'm uh, excited to see that. I keep hearing a lot about the Stills brothers. I I could not I don't recall anything or any play from any of those guys ever. Like, are they, I I don't know. I mean, maybe have they done anything against Oklahoma? Cause I don't even recall anything, but I well, keep hearing about no, how good they but are. Nobody does really anything against Oklahoma. So that would explain <laughs> it then. I just, yeah. Yeah. No, I, um,
1: their, uh, their big game last year was against Baylor on a Thursday night where they were th- those two almost single-handedly beat Baylor by themselves.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was a really low scoring game, right? Was, yeah,
1: yeah. They had like yeah. an absurd amount of tackles for loss, sacks and whatnot. Um those guys are good. I wish they were on OU.
0: <laughs> uh, Oklahoma State six and a half point favorite over West Virginia for whatever that's worth.
1: And we're not doing the picks this week, but I, I am most certainly on West
0: Virginia in that game. Uh SEC's back this week, Grant. They're uh I read something that where they're doing they're doing uh, what the NFL does with bracelets, I believe, to help out with contact tracing. And I got to say, that's very smart. I don't know if contact tracing is going to be as big of a deal for SEC schools, if that's truly what they're doing. We'll see. We'll see if they have a lot of stuff postponed or not. I don't know. But uh, I kind of want maybe I, I want to make sure I read that right. Did you ever see that story? Yeah, I heard. The, I, I saw the bracelet story. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm not. I just imagine that. I kind of feel
1: like wearing the bracelets would make it more likely you're going to have a ton of contact tracing casualties because then it's undeniable. It's in data. It's right there. You can't fudge it.
0: That's true. I, I think it's the other way around as to why they'll be fine is because I think I'm just theorizing here. I would bet a lot of the contact tracing that's happening throughout all of college football right now when that's not utilized is out of the abundance of caution. It's like, oh, was John, was he around? Ah, you know what? I think he, I think he might have been around him too. Yeah, let's put him in contact tracing. Whereas, if you have these bracelets, they'll actually know. And so, I think fewer people will be put into contact tracing out of the abundance of caution. That's my, that's my theory.
1: I guess. Yeah, I don't. Um, what are the rules? Like, you, you can't be within six six feet of someone for fifteen minutes. I mean, that's that's essentially what it is. I just, I'm, I am flummoxed and confused as to how you can have a football team under those circumstances. There, I, there's, I'm sorry. Everyone on the team is within six feet of each other for 15 minutes every single day. Like I. I,
0: Well, they've been talking about distancing at practice. You know, it's, it's so, you know, how much can you really do? I mean, you can do a little bit. And your know, Lincoln Rally talked about how they, they get him out of the locker room as fast as possible. It sounds so awkward. I feel so bad for just, it's just not the same. I mean, nothing's the same. I know. Saying stuff like
1: it, they have to wear like shields and stuff like that when they go and shower. It's just like, yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, it, yeah. it sucks. Like,
0: but. Just, uh, it takes away a lot of the really cool parts. Camaraderie. About, yeah, about not just football but just sports. I mean, why playing team sports is so valuable, valuable and meaningful and can help you grow as a person. I mean, it's just and there's just you're not getting that with a a lot of this stuff. I saw a, a ESPN headline a couple of days ago about Major League Baseball and how so many players or maybe it's coach, I don't know, managers or front office people, I don't know if there is anybody directly quoted but saying that it just isn't very fun. This whole season just isn't because of all the stuff going on. There's no fans.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I've gotten that feeling too. I've I've tried desperately to get myself excited about about Red's baseball playoff push in this last week and it's it's just really hard. It's not it's not the same thing. Um no. the, although the NFL I think is doing a good job of making it seem at least the TV product that's the NFL has has felt like the most normal of all of the professional sports so far, um, and I, I, I think agree. I, yet,
0: it, yet there, it still isn't normal though. But I it's agree still not.
1: Like, but I think th- I think the reasoning behind that is that I think of all the professional sports, the crowd in the NFL is the least important of all the professional sports. Um, not like not in the sense of like and, and how it and how it uh, and how it determines the outcome of the game. I still think that's important. Um, I'm just talking about in terms of your enjoyment of the game on TV. The TV product of the NFL, the crowd, is not a big deal, and it never has been. Um, the, the TV product is all about just who is on the field, and that's it. And I feel like they've been able to recreate that pretty well with just kind of like the piped-in audio. Um, I, yeah, I, I, the NFL, I, I think, has been really good in terms of the, the product so far. Uh, college at times feels really weird. And um, yeah, it it, it, it's it's, it it's going to be that way
0: all year, probably. All right, I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest before we part ways here?
1: Well, my favorite SEC game this week is, uh, or at least the most interesting one, I think is by far LSU and Mississippi State. Uh, a lot that of people Mike forgot Leach debut. Mike Leach in the SEC back there. So I, and I, and I'm sure LSU is going to probably take him to the woodshed. But um, I'm still interested. I think it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, maybe you know if this week goes off without a hitch OU plays the sec plays everything goes on you know maybe by next week uh, we might remember to put in some some picks and you know larger college football talk we'll see yeah i don't yeah, want
1: to i don't want to like yeah the the games last week and the week that OU played yeah the, they're just not good games
0: agree all right well hopefully the game is still on by the time that you listen to this podcast and hopefully of course the game is still on by the time we get to saturday We'll be back next week to talk all about, well, whatever happens. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.